Oh, hey, Steve. Hey, Jason. What's up? Thanks for coming over to rub my back down with liniment oil because I broke both of my legs. Oh, no problem. I know that it's hard for you staying in that wheelchair all day. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It was really weird how I broke my legs, too. How'd you break your legs, bud? I think the ghost of uh, Roger Ebert pushed me off my roof. Oh. Anyways, I've been looking through my back window, and I'm pretty sure uh -huh. that that everybody that I can see from my rear window, yeah, they're murdering somebody, I bet. Really? Everybody? Every single person. Oh, wait, no, never mind. That person's, I can see them. They're still alive. But that person above, oh, no, that person. There we go. <sighs> oh, no, wait. Oh, uh, uh. Oh no, that person's still alive. Never mind, everyone's what, still what alive. What about that? What about that guy over there in the corner apartment who is actively strangling his wife right now as we watch? That's not his wife. That's a dog. Oh, oh never God. mind. Why would Thorwald want to kill a little dog? Because it knew too much. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it can live up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, we're going to... Well, this is this this one's got a pretty solid reputation, doesn't it? Ah, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, yeah, it does. It's got, you know, yeah, it's got pretty murder. Solid. It's got murder. It's got a special set. Oh, my God, yes. That everyone can't shut up about. Oh, including me. I'm going to tell you all about the special oh set. Oh, boy. And it's got, it's got, uh, you know, it's got Jimmy Stewart dating yeah. a woman that's way younger than him. I think, yes, way. almost a, a little, a little older than half his age, but not all that much. I mean, and he's he a fucking asshole to her. <laughs> oh, he's, I know. He's such you a wanna, fucking scumbag and a it's deluded like you wanna, moron. You, you, you want to take him by the shoulders and shake him and go, that's great, darling, you motherfucker. I wanted to do more than that. I wanted to break the rest of his limbs and then throw him out of his window. You, you wanted to throw him out the window. Yeah. Fuck this guy. Just tip the wheelchair over and dump him out. That's right. I'd be like, hey, dude, <laughs> take care of this one too, would you? You know, I don't even care if the guy killed somebody. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> what movie uh, could we possibly be talking about? We are talking about the Alfred Hitchcock classic, Rear Window. Yeah. And Steve? Yes, sir. Now, we've done a few Alfred Hitchcock we movies, have. right? We have. We, yes, we we've have. Done, we've done Vertigo. Yeah. And we did whatever the other one was. I don't know. What, what, which one was it? It was Vertigo and... The Birds. I don't know. We did the Birds. The, the Beards. And I didn't really... I liked half of one and really didn't like the other. That's true. You have been kind of contrarian on the Hitchcock so far. You have gone, you have cut against the, the popular consensus. That's right. So we'll see. Yeah. Maybe I like this one. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe I don't care. Maybe I don't like any of them. How about that? Maybe Maybe you just hate everything. Yeah, maybe I'm, yeah, I'm one of those guys. Just, country. I'm like one of those Star Wars haters that hate everything about Star Wars right now. <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars, everything sucks. <laughs> if the shoe fits. People sing. I miss, people literally are like, I miss George. And it's like, boy, you really love, either no, you, you haven't seen or you don't remember the prequels at all. There, well, there has there has been a small to large, depending on which group of people you're talking to, amount of collective amnesia as far as the prequels. Sure. Oh, yeah, also, there. I think there are, there are, I think there are a lot to go up to, 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 
continue the Star Wars related tangent for just a second longer before we get back do to we, the window. Do we have I think, <laughs> I, think <laughs> I think there are a lot of people who were fans of the cartoons like the Clone Wars and Rebels that were set kind of roughly in the same era as the prequels and yeah. and they like those. Oh yeah. They so do. because because they like those and they think those are good, they think the prequels are good too. Which is not the case, <laughs> but but I feel like that's the perception. I think the the ones that like the Clone Wars and a lot of the ones that like the stuff that Filoni did, they like the new Star Wars stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a whole group of them that just seem like, oh, I love the taste of George Lucas's dick so much. I'm going to complain about mm-hmm. anything that isn't like the original first three or the original right. first six. And I'm like, fucking goddamn it. Grow the fuck up. It's just a goddamn well, movie, you bunch of fucking morons. You're all going to be dead yeah. anyway in 20 years, dying of thirst, remembering what it was, well, remembering what the taste of food was like as you choke out your last breath because the world is ending. Fuck end stage capitalism. We're in end well, stage world stuff. Find something else to be upset about, you bunch of fucking and- morons. And you know what? What all of these people who who can't get the taste of George's dick out of their mouth need to remember. Um, Mo most of the new Star Wars stuff, especially like the Disney Plus stuff, the series Mm -hmm. and whatnot, um, that's all being that's all being done under the creative supervision of Dave Filoni. And if there's anybody, if there's anybody who's ever been born who can't get the taste of George Lucas's dick out of his mouth, it's Dave Filoni. Yeah, but here's the so, thing. They're still know, complaining about it. They're like, this is what, this is what you know, George right. would want. Like, they know it. It doesn't. They Exactly. And they, they completely overlook the fact that this, we know you don't like it or not. Like, it, you know, everybody has their own opinions. But mm-hmm. all of this stuff was made by Dave Filoni, who I say again, is the biggest, most shameless dick rider of George Lucas who has ever fucking lived. So, mm-hmm. you know. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with him. Like to tip him out of a fucking window. Anyway, um, ah, why he's he's giving us some entertainment. It's better than George did. Here's the thing. He's at least he's not mirroring George Lucas. No, he's not doing that. He's like, huh? So maybe people want characters that they can invest in. People do have emotion or whatever. Hmm. I don't care. Anyway, what were we talking anyway, about? Anyway, rear window. Oh, right. Rear <laughs> Alfred window. Hitchcock. Hey, Dave, do you do you yes. have any do you have any trivia for do. rear window? I do right. have some trivia for rear window. Yes. Thank and God, you mentioned it, Yes. Yeah. Go. go go for it. Go. I was going to say you you mentioned a minute ago a big something I'm going to tell you a whole bunch about. Oh boy. Which is which is the special set. Uh, all right. The, the great big giant set that was constructed mm-hmm. for this movie. The entire film is shot on a single massive set. Yep. Which included the interior of Jeff's apartment and mm-hmm. the courtyard outside and the apartments into which Jeff looks through the windows, you know, throughout the, the film. And also that oh, yeah. little section of street that you see beyond the building. That's all one big set. And uh, one big indoor set. 
And this allowed for all of those distinctive long panning shots that we see in the Mm -hmm. movie from window Mm -hmm. to window and from window across the courtyard and then into the apartment where Jeff is. It was the largest indoor set in the history of Paramount Pictures up to that point. They actually had to uh, tear the floor out of the soundstage (laughs) to to build the, the, the bottom of it, to build the courtyard area. Yep. Um, so actually, even though the, the, the apartment where Jimmy Stewart is, where, where the camera always is Jeff's apartment, that is supposed to be a second floor apartment, but actually that apartment, that set was street level and the mm-hmm. parts that were beneath it, had, that was because they took the floor out, and that's actually the basement of the soundstage that the rest of that was built into. Mm-hmm. Um, Hitchcock himself always remained in Jeff's apartment during shooting. Sure. Um, which makes sense because that's where the camera always was. Yeah. And and then and he would communicate with the actors that were in the other apartments on the other side of the courtyard via radio earpieces. Everybody had a little earpiece that they would wear that Hitchcock would 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 talk to them through. Mm-hmm. And um for the shot of the couple, there's a, a running gag in the in the movie where there's a couple that sleeps on a fire escape at night because it's so hot. Because it's so hot, and, yeah. Yeah. And there's a scene where like they're it starts to rain. And so they get up and they're trying to take their mattress inside and they kind of pull in opposite directions. They can't decide which window to go through. And mm-hmm. uh, Hitchcock, the reason why that shot is like that is Hitchcock spoke to each of those actors separately through their earpieces and he gave them contradictory instructions. Mm-hmm. Like he told one of them to go through this window and one of them to go through the other window. So they had both received, both of those actors had received different direction from the director and they were both trying to do what they were told. And that led to them pulling back and forth and having like Man, a kind of war. I love it when directors trick actors into doing things. <laughs> because if you think about it, there's no way that those actors could have just acted like they were fighting over the matches. No, of course not. You have to treat <laughs> they actors had to like really do it. They're dumb dummies and everything. They had to. <laughs> yeah Mm-mm. anyway but that was but but yeah that was and that that they they only shot one take of that because that's just hitchcock was happy with it mm-hmm. um and then that's so that's the t- that that's the take that's in the movie of them fighting over the the mattress um the apartments across the courtyard that we can see into that were where characters actually are those were all fully dressed sets they were essentially mini apartments um and they were so fully realized that georgine darcy who is the actor who plays miss torso Mm -hmm. uh the the young lady who was always dancing and stuff in her apartment um she actually stayed in her character's apartment set all day during shooting um and and would relax there in between takes instead instead of like going off set to a trailer or something to to hang out until they needed her she she just remained in her character's apartment Mm -hmm. um instead of leaving the set because it was that comfortable um, the lighting for the set is like its whole own category. The lighting for the set was so huge that it required almost every available light that Paramount Pictures had. Almost every light that wasn't being used on another movie was brought to this set mm-hmm. um, because not only were that many lights needed because of just the size of the set, because it was just so enormous of a space that needed to be lit, but they needed to have four separate lighting setups all always in place Mm -hmm. so that they could light it for different times of day. And because it was such a big set 
And because, you know, they, they, they would need different times of day to be lit, depending on what they were shooting that day, they needed to have all four lighting setups always be in place at all times. So mm -hmm. whenever they were ready to shoot, they would just fire up whichever lighting setup that they needed for that particular shot. Um, so one of the biggest lighting rigs in the history of Paramount Pictures, in addition to the, one of the biggest indoor sets. Um, and finally, a little bit of trivia not related to the set. So the movie is mostly inspired by a 1942 short story called It Had to Be Murder by Cornell Woolrich. And that's it had to be, yeah. Yeah. Um, but Hitchcock and his writer also drew inspiration from two real life murder cases. Um, oh. <laughs> the main the main one was uh Patrick Mahone from mm -hmm. 1924, who uh murdered his mistress and disposed of her body in a trunk. And then they also borrowed some details from the case of Dr. Holly Harvey Crippen uh, from 1910, who murdered his wife, yeah. uh, told police, told the police that she had moved away mm -hmm. and was eventually and was eventually caught when his secretary, who was also his mistress, who was the person mm -hmm. that he had killed his wife so he could be with. Um, she was seen out and about wearing his dead wife's jewelry. Mm -hmm. So there's little details from those cases that found their way into the rear window story that in addition to it being mostly based on the, uh, the short story. So that's my trivia. Hooray. What great trivia it was, Steve. Thank hey, you, who, my friend. Who did Hitchcock molest during the filming of this movie? I'm going to just guess Grace Kelly, but I don't know. <laughs> Maybe somebody else. Who knows? Oh, no. Um, I, I, do you want some Grace Kelly? Really? Do you want some, some Hitchcock being a creep? slash grace kelly related trivia i do have go one thing it. i can tell you about go for so it. so obviously so everybody knows one of the one of the creepy things about hitchcock that, that that we fans of hitchcock need to sort of reconcile ourselves to and deal with is the fact that he he often took a a very obsessive interest in his leading ladies mm -hmm. and the development of their characters and what they did on the set and you know um and so uh edith head was the costume designer on this mm -hmm. le leg legendary Hollywood costume designer. And uh, Alfred Hitchcock worked very closely with the costume department, especially on Grace Kelly's costumes. Mm -hmm. And there's this there's this one scene in the movie where Grace Kelly's character is spending the night with Jimmy Stewart's character and she goes into the bathroom and she comes out and she's wearing like a negligee kind of thing, like kind of a, a you know, silk, classic silk. It's a dress. Yeah, it's, it's not like super it, it's the 50s so it's not like super sexy, it's not like scandalous or anything, certainly not by mm -hmm. our standards, but it's like a, a kind of like a frilly, you know, like night clothes kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um Alfred Hitchcock very sort of very subtly without wanting Grace Kelly to know about it, kind of pulled Edith head aside and said, you know, could we enhance the bust on this costume piece to make it look mm -hmm. like she has bigger boobs because Alfred Hitchcock was a dirty old man. Yes. And, uh, and Edith said, basically Edith had said, well, I'll see what I can do. And then she went and told Grace Kelly about it because it would be unethical not to. Mm -hmm. And Grace Kelly said, Grace Kelly said, no, I don't want to do that. So mm -hmm. Edith had said, okay, well, don't worry. We'll figure something out. So they designed the costume that is in the movie um, that is cut in a certain way to kind of enhance Grace Kelly's bust without actually having like, you know, falsies or anything to make it actually. To that is on screen for exactly how long? Yeah, Steve. Oh, for yeah. Oh, God, for what? A few seconds, a minute. I mean, mm -hmm. um, but so they fooled Alfred Hitchcock 
into thinking that they had enhanced her bust when actually they hadn't um because that's just the sort of thing women occasionally had to do when working Around with him. the great alfred hitchcock so yeah i can't believe you anyway. slipped in the great in there ironically i'm being sarcastic <laughs> the great alfred are. hitchcock who was a, who was a, who was a filthy old pervert a filthy pervert a yeah. gross filthy pervert a, gr- a gross dirty old man yeah speaking of which it was directed by Alfred Hitchcock, that filthy pervert that we've talked about. <laughs> that gross old man. And you know him from other movies like Psycho. And we did, like we said, we did Vertigo and The Birds and North by Northwest and a whole bunch of other movies. Uh, yep. Screenplay by John Michael Hayes. And he worked with Hitchcock specifically mm-hmm. on four movies right in a row. Rear Window, To Catch a Thief, The Trouble with Harry, and The Man Who Knew Too Much. All right. Yes. Okay. Great. Based on It Had to Be Murder, um, which was a dime detective novel by Cornell Woolrich, produced by Alfred Hitchcock, starring, I don't know, some guy. Some some guy. guy I can't remember his name. Jimmy Stewart being another aggressively gross creep. <laughs> oh, come here. Ah, you didn't know this about me, but I'm a disgusting creep, and I hate, I for whatever reason, Grace Kelly's throwing herself at me, but I don't think we should be together, because I like pissing my pants in the jungle, and she probably won't like that. <laughs> I like being bitten by mosquitoes and living out of a tent, and you're a beautiful That's woman right. who wants me to I, sleep with her, and I don't I, like it. I like jumping out of a helicopter, being bitten by a cobra while it's crashing, and I'm on fire. <laughs> That's the life I chose. Yeah. We all know who Jimmy Stewart is by this point. He's been in a bunch of Alfred Hitchcock movies where he plays a weird creep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And other movies, you know. What was that one? The Christmas one that I like so much. It's a wonderful, <laughs> it's life. A wonderful life. What's that other one? The Christmas one? You know what I mean. Also starring Grace Kelly as Lisa Carol Fremont. And she's been in movies like High Noon and Dial M for Murder and Mogambo. Everyone remembers that movie, right? Mogambo. <laughs> Her magnum opus. Then she married royalty and then she died. Yeah. I don't well, understand well. the obsession with her. I really don't. Can you? She was because she was pretty. She was so pretty. And then she married she was, a prince. She was a pretty lady. She became Princess Grace. Did she did she die in a car accident? How did she die? She died in a car accident, yeah. Mm-hmm. All princesses die in car accidents. Is that what it is? They all is die. Is that in the car, secret yeah, ending to all those Disney movies? Princess Grace, Princess Diana, Princess mm-hmm. Jasmine from Aladdin, car accident. <laughs> Princess Ariel. <laughs> all car car accident. accidents. That was the thing. you shouldn't be you shouldn't try to teach a former mermaid how to drive. Yeah, they don't they can't work the pedals. She was wearing a long flowing scarf and it got tw- twisted around in the in the wheel and it basically decapitated. Oh my her. god! <laughs> you you had her die in the horror in the most horrific way possible. Well, you know who 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 died? It was Sandra Bernhardt died that way. Yes, that's true. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Draw from life. That's what I say. You really want to upset people. Draw from life. <laughs> that really happened. I'm in a bad mood, Steve. <laughs> Let's keep it going. I'm sick. Every time I, <laughs> I have my chest hurts, I'm like, do, am I going to the hospital? Am I going to the hospital? Every single fucking time. I'm eating nothing. Everything is cardboard now. I feel like Superman. 
Superman once once said that he lives in a world full of cardboard. That's what I feel like now. It's like nothing I eat has any flavor to and it. So, and apparently, being Superman sucks. <laughs> like, why was he in such a good mood all the time? This fucking sucks. I'm like Superman. I get the benefit of all the cardboard, but I don't get the flying, the super strength, or the guys or the women always after my D. And that's a you bummer. That's a he could fly anywhere in the world and get his dick sucked. That's something they <laughs> yes, never he talk. Could. That's something they never talk about in Superman. He could go anywhere in the fucking world. He wouldn't even and need his dick sucked. He wouldn't even need to ask. He says, "I'm going into this room," and two seconds later, uh, women would be fighting to get into, yep. and men, and some men, oh, of would course, be fighting to get and into Superman, his room. And Superman would probably be cool with that too. Well. And he would understand they, that people of all kinds wanted to suck him off. And yeah, he, would, exactly. he would be willing to deal to do that. Yeah. How do we get here? Okay. Anyway, it's because you're uh, having a bad day. I'm having a bad day. <laughs> Wendell Corey is Lieutenant Doyle, and he was in uh, Sorry, Wrong Number, Women of the Prehistoric Planet, and the Astro Zombies. Hooray. Ooh. Oh, boy. His career went right down, didn't it? Thelma <laughs> Ritter as Stella, and she was in All About Eve and The Misfits and How the West Was Won. She's actually one of my favorite actors. She, She's she didn't great... do nearly she didn't do nearly enough. Do you know who I always remember her as? And this was, I think, one of her first roles. She was the parent um, whose kid wanted the fire engine in Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Macy's ain't got any. Nobody's got any. That was her. Raymond Burr is Lars Thorwald because um, Hitchcock hated people from Scandinavia. That's why his name is Lars Thorwald. I'll finally get my revenge. He had more lines. He said Yump and Yemeni at one point when he came in to, comes in to kill um, Jimmy Stewart. Yump and Yemeni, <laughs> you found out my murder. Okay, here we go. Time for the murder. <laughs> You know him, he was in Godzilla, and he was in Tarzan and the She-Devil, that classic. Ah, that, yes. That is a fucking porno. That's gotta be a porno. Tarzan and the She-Devil? Yeah. He, but you know him better from Perry Mason and Ironside. And he yep. was gay, wasn't he? I think I, he was. was he? he might have been. He left, he left sure. his estate to his longtime partner, who was a dude. Let me wait. I need well, to. I need go. to look that up. One second. Yeah. Was Perry Mason gay? Why am I looking up Perry Mason? Can you tell? Can you tell me the, that? Because he played Perry Mason. He did not. Yeah, he played Perry Mason. One second. Thank you, Google. He hid his homosexuality to protect his career. Yeah, he did. That's sad. I, I hate that. I hate that. When did he die? He never even got he, a chance to come he, out. He died you know? in the, it was the late 80s, early, early 90s, I think, wasn't mm -hmm. it? That hurts. I'm sorry I looked he it was up. Because he was still doing Perry Mason movies. Like in oh, the he did them. He did tons of them. Tons of them. Okay. Judith Evelyn as Miss Lonely Hearts, and she was in Giant and the Tingler. Remember the Tingler, Steve? Of course, yeah. 
too young to remember. I mean, I never, I never, I never had the, I never had the full Tingler experience. That was before my time, but you know, Ross Bagdasarian as the songwriter. Hey, do you know what name Ross Bagdasarian went by? David Seville. Do you know? Oh, David. Yes, David Seville created the fucking Chipmunks. He's he's the creator of Alvin and the Chipmunks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, he right. tied us to those fuckers for the rest of our goddamn life. Thanks, God Ross. Damn it. Thanks, thanks. Great. They keep bringing it back up again every 10 years. Alvin, Simon, kill me now. And then they came up with the girl chipmunks. Remember them? Oh, the, the, the chipettes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, because they had to have girlfriends. I wish I could make a dark, dark movie about the Chipmunks after they broke up as a band. So right? do I. I wish we somebody can't. would make that movie. Theodore is 5,000 pounds. He's constantly eating. Theodore, Theodore, <laughs> let's see. Alan, Simon is dead. Simon's the one that dies. Simon is the okay. one that dies from high on coke, went driving, drove off the Santa Monica Pier. Sure. And Alvin has been the one that has been working on the same album for 35 years. There you go. Yes, there you go. <laughs> so he's the Brian Wilson of the group. Uh, I'm thinking more of who was the lead singer of Guns N' Roses. Axel, oh, fucking, Axel yeah, Rose. Axel Rose. Oh, there mm-hmm. you go. That's better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Anyway, um, Georgine Darcy is Miss Torso. Sarah Burner and Frank Katie is the couple living um, above the Thornwalds with their dogs and people sleep out on the fire escape. Jessalyn Fax as Miss Hearing Aid. I don't remember her, but she was in the mov- the music man. Rand Harper and Havis Davenport as the newlyweds. Iron Winston as Mrs. Anna Thornwald. Don't get used to her. She's not. <laughs> Don't get attached. <laughs> Nyan be around. Cinematography by Robert Burks, uh, who has too many films to list, but he did a lot of Hitchcock films. Um, edited by. And boy, you know what? What kind of life must he, he must? He had to roll with every single punch, right? It's like Robert. Oh, yeah. I'm making. I'm making another movie. Oh, great! Because we just did Dial In for Murder, where we had to build this unique set, and it was all in 3D. Yes. Well, this one we're building in a street and a bunch of buildings, and they have to live in them, and we have to figure out how to film <laughs> all of it from one. We're doing one it again, angle. but we're really going nuts this time. <laughs> we're going completely crazy. Uh, do you know anything about deep focus? What? Wait, what? Yeah, we're good. It's going to be. You have to be able to focus on things close up, also on a street behind that, and then a bar. Okay. Yeah. All right. Bye. Click. I told I need, you. To I, I, need, I need sharply. I need sharply <laughs> focused, crystal clear shots from yes. across a gigantic soundstage. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to be able to move the camera around a lot. Like how much? <laughs> a like a There's going to be so many pans in this movie, dude. Right? We need to go. We need to go from like an apartment window across the courtyard into mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart, like two feet away. Oh yeah, like super super long <laughs> takes too, from outside across the way until the apartment and up to Jimmy Stewart. Okay, bye. Um, you have this weekend to get ready, and I want filming done in a month. 
Just, that's, and that's true they shot for a month that's true yeah edited by george tomasini and he did psycho and vertigo and north by northwest music by frank waxman and he did movies like the bride of frankenstein rebecca and sunset boulevard production company patron inc distributed by paramount pictures release date september 1st 1954 running time 112 minutes budget $1 million adjusted for inflation, $11.4 million. Box office, $37 million adjusted for inflation, $422 million. And Ooh. that's why, regardless of how many women he upset, how many, you know, they could have found a dead blonde in his room and they would have been, okay, well, we'll, we'll just chop her up and you keep making movies. <laughs> hey, here. let's just do what the guy did in the movie we just made. <laughs> No, I wish to eat her. Oh my God! Okay, Hitch, oh, that's Alfred. Fine. Oh, okay. Hey, make okay. her into ravioli. I know a guy. You know a guy that will take make, a dead make person this victim into ravioli for the great <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> All right, Steve, you ready? I'm ready. Okay, let's me and you not think about how we're going pee and poo in this cast that apparently is all the way up to my waist. How is he going oh, to the bathroom? There's got to be a hole in there, man. There's got to be a hole what, cut in it. We saw what Thelma Ritter does when she comes in and takes care of him, and none of that is about, mm-hmm. okay, time for you to go to the bathroom. We kind of spend the entire time with with Jimmy Stewart for four days, something yeah, like that. Yeah, at and least at for no, a few days, yeah. And at no point has anyone helped him go to the bathroom. Nope. If you think about it. I've, I've, I've been holding it for six weeks. Please <laughs> help me, somebody. It's getting hard to swallow. I need to go to the bathroom oh, at some point. <laughs> uh, just kill me. Just kill me. Please. <laughs> please kill me. Just make it end. <sighs> All right. That's me and you become pervy voyeurs. Yeah, buddy. Which is apparently something Hitchcock knows a lot about. <laughs> oh, whoops. <laughs> As we run into the world. Of rear window, Steve, please. Mm-hmm. Yes. Take it away. Oh boy. Well, we get our opening credits. Tell yeah. us what the name of the movie is and who yeah. all made it and stuff. And then we we open on a shot of the set. Of the great of the great set. And it's it's the the building opposite where with all the different windows and all the people inside the apartments doing their things. Mm-hmm. And we kind of we pan across the the building on the opposite side of the courtyard and and kind of down and up. And we, we see the songwriter. Panning. We see oh, That's and here's true. something yeah. that must have made every man jerk off as soon as they got home. Miss Torso, Miss Torso, putting on her, putting on her top. Yeah, dropping away her from top, the camera, facing yeah. of course yeah. because we can, but we can show her Very ass tasteful. as much as we can. Oh, super tasteful where she basically, you know, moons the audience 15 times. Not really. I mean, we don't see her, but I mean, she has clothes on. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. she puts clothes on and we pan into like a bathing suit or something. mm -hmm, We pan into an apartment. We see Jimmy Stewart there sweating. Pan down. He's he's like asleep and he hasn't beat his way. It's because it's hot. And we see the thermometer, too, when the camera pans. pans Oh, yeah. It's it's like like a hundred million degrees. Yeah. And no one apparently has air conditioning. He's in a wheelchair wearing nothing but he's wearing full pajamas, dude. Yes. Come on. Yeah. You're in your own house. Although I did not need to see as much of his body as I did in this movie. He's he's in, he's in, 
decent shape. He's got an old man's body because he's an old man. Well, but this was see this. I kind of appreciate this, though, because this was from the era of movies before every single movie star needed to be absolutely fucking jacked at all times. I know. I know. A, at least he, he was just a jacked. normal. look. He was a normal guy with a normal looking guy's body. Yeah, but he looked like my grandpa yeah. getting out of the tub. It was just like, I don't need to see that. Anyway, he's <laughs> he's we pan around. We see that his leg, he's got a cast on someone wrote stupid fucker what were you thinking what what's written on his uh here lie the broken bone here lie the broken bones of lb jeffries which is a Mm. nice way of telling us the main character's name and then we see that he's got a bunch of pictures one of which is a tire heading directly towards the camera oh there's a busted Mm. up camera from like 1912 yeah that's totally the camera he was using when he broke his leg right Apparently, this like um, Matthew Brady special. Mm-hmm. And we turn around, and there's some magazines and some other stuff. And he gets a phone call. I don't remember. Or no, he makes. Yeah, a he, phone get, call. he get. Yeah, he he gets. Well, he gets a phone call from his editor, who wants mm-hmm. to know who the ed- the editor think has mistakenly uh, mm-hmm. thought that today is the day when he gets his cast off. And Jeff Jeff is like, No, you're a no, week off. I don't. That's a week off. off. Oh, and by the way, there's a helicopter for some reason landing on top of one of the buildings out here. What was the point of that? What was the point of the helicopter? I, I don't know. It was a bad shot, number one, because it's a composite shot. Yeah. And the the camera that they shot, the the <laughs> the helicopter was moving all over the place. So it doesn't look actually look like it's there. But, you know, whatever, helicopter. Meanwhile, well, he's exactly. talking on he's talking on the phone, gently masturbating himself while watching Miss Torso dance around her apartment. Right? Mm-hmm. He looks down below it, and there's a woman with uh, a, what apparently is a coal-fired stove. Yeah. Did you notice that? There's a coal-fired yeah. stove in her apartment. He looks over. There's a bed bedridden lady, and then he gets off the phone, and he's got to scratch himself. Because he's yep. got to scratch himself, and he's got one of those long sticks so he can scratch himself. And then he sees the lady with the coal fire stove. She's out sunbathing. Yeah, right. Um, dude, who is it? The woman that was bedridden. Has he come out yet? Did he come out? I think. The... I think we. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, Thelma Ritter, he, the he best comes outside thing. and does something with the flowers, right? Mm-hmm. And Thelma Ritter shows up, and she's the best thing in the movie for about ten minutes. Oh, she's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. she and is she's the, she's the she's the nurse assigned by who? By the insurance company. By the insurance company. That's right. And she's there to give him lip and to rub him down. <laughs> yep. To take care of his back, apparently, and. No, this is when we find out that that photograph of the car crash, I guess, during a racing thing, um, is what caused his why he has a broken leg, and that he's like an adventure photographer, right? Yeah, who apparently doesn't specialize in any particular genre. He just kind of mm-hmm. goes all over the place and and takes photographs of dangerous things happening. Yeah, because he's an adventure photographer. Yeah. <clears throat> Then he looks across the way and he sees a couple of newlyweds come in and he's like a hole. And then they shut the curtains because he doesn't get to see them. And he's like, oh, no, I wanted to see those two strangers have sex. But apparently I won't get to see that. 
And then he wakes up to one of the most beautiful women in the entire world who wants his bod and wants his yeah. dick and wants and he everything. and his reaction his reaction to her is oh what do you want and she's like more than half his age at this point and he's and also like, is apparently incredibly successful it's not just that oh, she's no, a beautiful she's young woman money. she's a beautiful young woman with a, with a successful career yeah mm-hmm. it's like what is what is <laughs> what is the problem with any of this mm-hmm. <laughs> like but she's come over she's rich she sells I guess she sells dresses. Right? She's in the fashion industry in some She's in the fashion way, yeah. industry, right? Yeah. And uh she's brought dinner from I can't remember where. From uh, 21 from a fancy New York club, yeah. A super fancy restaurant and yeah. it's, it's lobster thermidor and something else. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she's like pouring him wine and getting the, you know, everything together and he starts going on about how they can't they don't work. Because he's right. he's like the super G.I. Joe of getting stupid pictures out in the middle of nowhere. And she's like a whatever, like a girl. Yeah, you're a girl. You can't do what I do. You Look, I eat bugs. You That's can't right. eat bugs. I, I eat bugs. And I, well, you're eating the lobster right now. That's a giant bug. But well, I, it's just a giant bug. You see what I'm saying? He upsets her and she goes away. And then he looks out the window. And yeah. he's watching Miss Lonely Heart have a psychotic episode. Yeah, right. She's like having dinner with herself. Yeah, she's like she's no, like, it's m- even worse. That there's another person there. It's, yeah, she's miming she's that there's another person there. Yeah, yeah. And you know, she pours wine for two people, and she uh, does a toast, and then she breaks down crying, and and um, you know, and he's like, oh, that's sad. And so does uh, Grace Kelly. Lisa thinks that's sad too because she can see yeah. out the window as well. Because she because she has emotions. Yeah, because she's like she has. Because she mm-hmm. has normal human emotions. Miss Torso has a whole <laughs> bunch of people over to the house. There's some rich guy that she's like hitting on. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks across to the perfectly normal couple with the bedridden wife, and everything's fine there, right? Everything's, everything's normal, fine. Yeah. She's not making fun of him or laughing at him or doing any of that stuff. There's absolutely no motive for him to ever do anything violent not, to her. No, he's not lurching right. around the apartment in a threatening way. Not at all. No. He just delivered her food to her on a tray and all this other stuff. Perfectly and happy, normal people. We get the Hitchcock cameo because he's got to do it. Right. Does it is it he comes is it the the, the piano player's apartment that he comes yeah, he's into? in the he's yeah. in the piano player's apartment. Yeah. And you know they they she serves dinner. He is an ungrateful prick. He is such an ungrateful prick. Yes. It's like, oh god damn it, I've got to eat this four-star meal that's been delivered to me by <laughs> with my with this beautiful woman who loves me. God, I hate my life. Yeah. Mm, <laughs> my life sucks because this beautiful woman and he basically she tries to talk, he keeps telling her to shut up he keeps telling he says shut up to her like several times right because yeah we 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 cut back to them after dinner and they're having an argument about something and 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 he's like oh i'm trying to make a point if you'll shut your goddamn mouth god damn it i'll just jibber jabber if you just be quiet maybe i would marry you how about that you'll just sit there and be quiet just you'll be silent fall Mm -hmm. silent woman yeah he was like Basically, I'm an adventure guy. I do adventure things. You are from the upper class. You're too nice. And fuck you. And I hate that about you. (laughs) 
And I hate that about you, and we shouldn't I hate together. that about you. I am doing what every man who's getting close to 50 would do in this situation, which is turn away the love and affection of an incredibly gorgeous 22-year-old girl. Yeah, of course. Everybody would. Mm-hmm, of course. Of course you would. What, and, what do I want with this beautiful young woman who's crazy about me? Get her out of my sight. So then he goes out and he falls asleep. Yes. In his wheelchair, looking out the window. And it starts to rain. And the people who sleep out on the uh, out on the uh, fire escape have to suddenly go in. And then he notices that uh, the guy who's been taking care of his wife is leaving the house awfully yeah. goddamn with his uh with his sample case because he's with a salesman so he has case, a big yeah. sample case and he leaves with a sample case and, and it's like one o'clock in the morning and it's raining mm-hmm. and then he notices because he keeps he falls asleep and wakes up a few times during this yeah. sequence and he notices the guy coming back and then going back out a few times yes he does and, he's like, well, and he notices the songwriter comes home and he's upset about something yeah. The Miss Torso comes back and she's trying to keep a guy from coming into her room. Right. Um, he keeps, he sees, he has one of them. Okay. I love Jimmy Stewart, but he goes from looking at something to like literally falling asleep with little Z's coming out of his mouth. <laughs> yes, one shot. yes, absolutely. It's fucking ridiculous. But he falls asleep and he misses something while he's asleep. Did you notice this? He does. Um, the, the Raymond Burr character does leave the apartment with a woman. Yes. Did you notice this? Yes. yes. He comes out and yes. And he doesn't see that. Yeah. And he doesn't see that. So next morning he wakes up. The weird lady that likes to sunbathe is now sculpting something. Ballerina girl is dancing naked, and it's time for him to get rubbed down again because apparently he gets rubbed down by Thelma Ritter every day, right? Yep, it's part of his physical therapy, you know. That's right. And he's like, "I think someone's been <coughs> murdered across the way," and she's like, "No, that's not true, right?" She's like, "You're you're right. just freaking out. Stop it. Shut up. Stop Shut looking up. at those people, yeah. you weirdo." Yeah. But they're looking across the way. They're both looking across the way in the shadows. Right, that's and right. The, so the the couple that sleeps on the on the fire escape have a dog that they lower down in a basket to go into the backyard, and that dog is now digging at a hole. And Thelma Ritter is joking about maybe he cut her up and buried her there or something. Right, maybe the dog <laughs> smells something. Yeah. So now, Jimmy Jimmy Stewart wants or Jeff Jeff wants to see inside of the apartment more, and he sees the dude packing stuff in his sample case and it looks like jewelry right yeah and does he also sees him he has a, a saw and a big he knife. has his modern camera now with the huge yes, telephoto lens with a humongous tele- telescopic lens yeah and he and sees he him see- yeah packing up yeah. a knife and stuff and like wrapping it around in newspaper and, and yeah mm-hmm and writing, I killed my wife in blood on the wall yeah. and a whole bunch of other yeah, stuff. and it's like that. It's starting to look a little suspicious. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we cut around some more into the neighborhood, right? And then after saying that maybe she won't be back, she shows up again. Lisa shows up again after Lisa their fight. Shows up again, yeah, yeah, because she is addicted to his. Not, I don't know, I don't know what she sees in him. 
honestly. He's abusive. He's mean. You know, he treats her with complete disrespect, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. He's not nice to her at all at the beginning of this movie, right? No. But she comes back and they're all makey outy. And what happens? I don't remember what happens. Well, they're making out, they're making they're making out, but he's also paying attention to what's happening in the apartment. That's right. And dude comes back with some rope. Yes. And she's she's asking him about it, and he's talking about it, and then she notices that dude is packing up a giant trunk, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And he's wrapping and he's tying the rope. He's like tying the rope around the trunk, like to make sure nobody can get in the trunk. <laughs> exactly yeah so he calls his buddy who is a detective because all of us all of us all have a police detective as a friend we all we all have we all have acquaintances who happen to be police Mm -hmm. detectives it's normal you know and he's like based on almost nothing i think guy across the way has killed his wife can you like arrest him and put him in the chair and he's like (laughs) what go over there and shoot him right now (laughs) next morning thelma ritter is now feeding him I don't yeah, she know. makes him breakfast. I don't makes know if that's like part of a nurse's duty, but yeah. And also, she hasn't done it in the last two days. She's only done it this time. But now she's getting involved in looking out the window, right? And yeah, yeah. This whole murder thing, right? And, you know, finally, the lovebirds, after two days, finally raise their shades. Or raise the, been, the, the shade, yeah. Yeah. And, They've been uh, fucking nonstop. And the murderer across the way is paying some dudes to take away a giant case that could probably fit a whole person in it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Although I have a sneaking suspicion that she's not in there. I think is it, I think the ultimate solution to the mystery is I don't think she's in there, no. I think the ultimate solution was at the end when she says we're, we're going to go to a, several places along the along the Hudson River at the end. Right, right. The East River, yeah. the East River. After after he's been caught, and that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought too. Yeah. So now she runs across the way. Uh, so Thelma Ritter runs over there to find out the name of the the truck, the delivery people, the the truck, the company of the truck that's taken the the trunk. Yeah. Right, but she misses she misses it, and he throws stuff at her and tells her to get out if you're not going to be a help to me. Just stop it. <laughs> Then his friend comes over, looks out the window, his friend who's the police detective, and he's like, why did you call me over here? There's no evidence. There's nothing. You're crazy. I think you've been staring out the window too much. It's it's 1954, and you're a famous photographer. Get a TV. Yeah. Stop looking out the window at your neighbors. Get a TV. One of the things is that nobody here had a television. None of the apartments have a TV at all. It was 1954. Do you know how many televisions yeah. were sold in 1954? I how are they how are these people watching I Love Lucy? I don't know. They're just not. Somebody was watching I Love Lucy in the 50s. Apparently, not these people apparently. Apparently no one in New York had a TV. Nobody in New York was watching I Love Lucy in 1954. <laughs> so his friend leaves and then he watches the murderer go out and the dog is digging in the garden and he's yeah, like go on go on pub pub um meanwhile his friend does go over there doesn't he 
And he finds it um, and he gets information about him, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, because first, remember, we I think we skipped over the part where uh, Lisa goes over and finds out the guy's name by looking at the mailbox in the building. That hasn't happened yet, I don't think. His, his name is Lars Thorwald. Okay, um, but yeah, the the detective goes over and talks to the neighbors, and apparently looks like looks in his mail. I uh, guess, and because yeah, because the Ted the the Doyle the detective comes back and says, okay, I talked to the neighbors, and two neighbors saw him leave the the building with another with a woman at six a.m. in the morning, and they say that you know she was leaving town. He was taking her to the train station, and she was leaving town. So mm-hmm. no murder. His wife just left town early in the morning, and um. And then he also saw that in the mail he had received a postcard from was it Monroeville from Monroeville something New York, like that where, yeah. where, where uh, supposedly his wife had gone and had sent him this postcard mm-hmm. to let him know that she arrived I guess and Jimmy Stewart keeps trying to poke holes in it right right yeah so his wife now, was bedridden why would his why would his bedridden wife all of a sudden take a train trip out of town by herself like that kind of mm-hmm. thing yeah. That night, he's watching Miss Lonely Hearts, which is what he calls her. You know, putting on makeup. The ballerina is dancing with another dancer in front of another person. We don't know what that is. He sees Miss Lonely Hearts all dressed up, put on makeup, go outside, go across the street to the bar and sit alone. Um, But then he sees the murderer show up again. Yeah. Right? And he's like, oh boy. And the murderer comes home and he goes into his goes into his room and what does he do? He does something because he is, he, is, he, is, he, is this when he, he, he's looking through the, the alligator the purse, purse and taking yeah. out the jewelry? Mm-hmm. And he's on the phone. Oh yeah, and yeah, Jimmy Stewart notices he 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 sees him make a couple of phone calls and he can tell from the numbers he dials that he's calling long distance. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, there's a party up at the other place. There's not a whole lot of a soundtrack to this movie. It's all ambient. It's all uh, yeah. There's I think other than the little bits of the score that are still playing when we resolve mm-hmm. to the first shot, there's no like all of the music is diegetic music. Like there's mm-hmm. no soundtrack score at all except for the beginning and the end. No. Meanwhile, then his his uh, well, let's just face it, her his his emotionally abused girlfriend shows up again. And he's talked about, oh, you know, I think he's a murderer and I'm pretty sure he did it. And, well, God, I hope I'm right because I think, you know, accusing someone based on almost no evidence, right? That that guy's yeah, basically a just, I, I think I've seen some shit through the window and I think he might be a murderer. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. What do they talk about? I can't remember. All I know is that they wind up kissing again. And it's like, I was pretty sure their relationship was over at the beginning of it. Thank God she's a glutton for punishment. Apparently, yeah. Because she keeps coming back. And uh, I can't remember. They talk about a bunch of stuff. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. I can't remember. They they start speculating about people, don't they? Yeah. And this, and then, and then, is this the night when they 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 hear the scream in the middle of the night, and it's because the dog is dead? I don't think so, because remember, his detective yeah. comes over. The detective comes over again, and they're all drinking brandy and smoking cigarettes, right? Oh, and 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 the detective says, "Well, guess what? The wife is in 
Monroeville yeah. or wherever. Stupid. And, yeah. Yeah. She the white yeah. And the trunk, uh the, the trunk is at the train station and mm-hmm. it, it belongs to him and he's sending it to his wife or you know, like there's basically right. there's an there's an there there's an innocent explanation to everything you've seen and no murder has been done and just calm down. Yeah, you big dumb stupid head. Right? <laughs> so that's when we see that uh, Miss Lonely Hearts has someone over to actually has someone in her yeah. uh, apartment, and that yeah. is who is that? Is that a different guy? It's That's a just different a, guy. It's, it's just some a guy, guy she picked up at the bar, and it doesn't go well. No, it doesn't. He gets a little handsy. He gets a little pushy, and she has to throw his ass out of the apartment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, then we have more of. This poor woman who really needs to find somebody else. <laughs> someone more age appropriate, you know. Yeah. Someone who S- likes you. Someone who's <laughs> not going to undervalue and misjudge you. But she says, I'm going to stay over. And then she puts on more clothes to go to bed. I, I've Sexy. never understood this. Yeah. More clothes to go to more, bed. More clothes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And everyone else. And that's when the scream happens. Right, and she's out the there, and and that's when, that's when they find the dog, and everyone stops. There's a party going on in the, in the songwriters' place, and everyone comes out, and she's like, "I'm gonna find the fucker who killed my dog." <laughs> You're a I dead. blame every single one of you. Which one of you motherfuckers <laughs> killed my dog? I will burn down this motherfucking building if I don't I find out who killed my dog. I'm going apartment by apartment, and I'm <laughs> shooting every single one of you. I'm killing dog everybody until one of you admits it. Yeah, Miss Lonely Hearts goes out to confirm that the dog is dead and puts the dog in the basket that they lower it down with so we can walk around. And she's like, you motherfuckers. (laughs) You dirty, rotten motherfuckers. And what they notice is everyone is out. Everyone is looking at what's going on. Like everyone, the newlyweds, everybody. Yeah. Except for who? For Lars. Yeah. He's in his apartment, which they can tell because they see him. He's yeah. smoking a cigarette. They can see the 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 the, the cherry from the cigarette in the darkness. That's right. So they know he's there, but he's not That's coming right. to the window. Because yeah. he's masturbating because he just killed a dog and he loves it. Because he, he just killed a dog. And, I, he he just... and the, 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 the shock and the guilt is what does it for him. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. So now we cut to the next night. Or is it the same night? Because. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's her name comes over? Thelma Ritter, whatever her name is in the movie. Yeah. I don't Stella. care. Stella. And now they're all like, they, he's convinced everybody. They're all there's... on board with this. Yeah. This guy's a murderer mm-hmm. and we need to prove it. Yeah. Right. And uh, he's taking a look at some pictures that he took and he's like, oh, hey, the flowers are different. You know, those flowers that he was tending to, the same flower bed that the dog was digging at. Well, I'm pretty sure that the dog was digging at a dead body or something, maybe Smurfs. Yeah, Who knows? Something was buried but, in the flower bed. Yeah. And yeah, and that's why he mm-hmm. killed the dog because the dog was on to him. Mm-hmm. And so now they decide to start gaslighting him. Right. They mm-hmm. write a note. They write a note that she's that that uh, what's her face is going to drop off. Right. Right, because they're trying they're trying to kind of like to shake him up, you know, right. see if he does anything that will be, you know, that will implicate himself. Yes. Yeah. 
Hmm? They send it over. They watch him as he picks it up. Um, he reads it. And what does he does? He leave? he doesn't leave. Well, right? no, he doesn't leave. He 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 goes out in the hall to see if he can catch the person who slid it under his door. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but they, he doesn't leave the apartment at that point. No. Meanwhile, it looks like Miss Lonely Hearts is going to kill herself. Yes, yeah, she has a bunch of pills. A bunch and, of sleeping pills. Yeah. yeah, a bunch of sleeping pills and a bottle of booze, and it looks like she's about to. And um, and Stella is like, "Oh, call the police!" You know, she's going to commit suicide. Um, but then uh, the Miss Lonely Hearts hears the piano player's music from the apartment up above, and that like snaps her out of it, and she doesn't she doesn't go through with it. Sure. So then, um, Lisa comes back. And now they play. They do a crank call, and they call him. They look up his number, and they call him. Yeah, to get him like, out of the apartment. Hey, buddy, I know what you did to that dog. And he's like, "Don't." And he's like, "I, I want money." The dog gave me no choice. The dog came at I'm gonna, me. I'm gonna tell that old lady, and she's gonna fucking kill you. She will and murder then, you. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't want to be murdered by the old lady that lives above me. And he said, "Well, then you better meet me at this fucking." A hotel, a hotel or something and yeah. bring all your money is like i only have eight hundred dollars do you want to fucking get the chair for killing that dog no <laughs> i don't we don't look too kindly on dog killers in this state right so yeah. he gets them to leave right right and then and no, he the gets, idea, he gets the, him the, to leave and then they sneak across. he leaves well the because the the original idea is that stella and lisa will go down and check out the flower bed Right. Um, but after, but but then Lisa gets the bright idea of, oh, hey, since since Lars is out of the apartment, mm-hmm. I'll sneak in through the window through the fire escape because the window is open because it's so hot. Everybody's windows are open. So mm-hmm. Lisa's like, I'll climb up the fire escape and go into his apartment. And mm-hmm. her idea is I want to look f- I want to look through because they, they saw him with jewelry. So they're like, OK, he's got his wife's jewelry. And Lisa's idea was if one of those pieces of jewelry is a wedding ring. Mm-hmm. That would be strong evidence that he killed his wife because That's why right. wouldn't she be wearing her wedding ring if she was still alive? Why mm-hmm. would she leave her wedding ring at home if she was going to go on some trip to you know upstate New York? So you know, and of course uh, Jeff is not happy about this. This was not part of the plan. No, and um, there was nothing in the hole. By the way, there was nothing in the flower bed. Yeah, they couldn't they couldn't find anything in the flower bed. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then while she's up there, guess who comes back? <gasps> Raymond Burr comes, ru- comes right. rumbling back in. And he's like, he's calling the cops now and he's saying, I'm seeing a woman being attacked. Yeah, yeah Jeff is calling yeah. You got to come back. Yeah. And and Raymond Burr is wandering around his, his house and then he sees her, right? Yeah. And we don't yeah. know what she says. Something about, you know. Can I be your girlfriend? My boyfriend yeah. is an asshole. I know you murdered your wife, but I'm sure you're not that bad of but a guy. Raymond, Raymond Burr's more like, no, I'm going to turn off the lights and I'm going to kill you. And that's what it looks like he's doing. Jimmy yeah. Stewart is having a freak out, right? For a woman, he right. apparently does give a shit about whatever guy. <laughs> and f- fortunately, the police response time is fucking amazing. Oh, my God. They, yeah. they are right there. Because they asked he the does- question. When he called in, we didn't get to hear it over the phone. Is she white or black? White. We'll be there right away. She's white. We'll be right there. <laughs> we, we we have a guy who's 10 seconds away. He will be there. She's white and rich. Yeah. Oh, my God. We'll double. We'll, let's go. We'll take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> the cops show up at the door. I don't know what he says. Right. The cops come in. They talk to Lisa. Um, 
there's a whole bunch of stuff, but <laughs> what happens is Lisa leaves because she actually calls his name. She says Jeff, Jeff, while he's attacking her, right? While he's attacking her, yeah. Well, and while also Miss- don't forget she she has found a ring that That's she has right. on her finger and she's like holding her, she has her back to the window and she's holding her mm-hmm. hand behind her back and like wagging her finger so that Jeff notices. And Lars sees her doing that yep. and looks like, and like sort of looks across the courtyard at the direction that she's obviously signaling. And that's mm-hmm. when he sees. Oh no, he looks know, directly across. This is after the cops yeah. were there. Right. And he's like, Oh, okay. This is the guy who's been fucking with me. Yeah. I see you. Um, he shoes um, Thelma Ritter away, right? She's got to go do yeah. something. She's uh, she's going across the street, I guess, to go get the guy. I don't can't remember what she's it going to go. Like. You no, know, she's going to go bail out Lisa because Lisa was arrested. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. And then he gets on the phone, and who does he call? Uh, his his cop buddy. That's right. And he's like, "Hi, someone's coming to kill me." And he's like, "What? <laughs> Be right there." My. The guy who I, the guy who I'm framing for murder is coming to kill me. Oh, oh, okay. Hey, hey, hey! It's me, uh-huh. your friend, who still hasn't let this murder thing go, despite you directly telling me to several times. I'm in a lot of trouble. Can you come bail me out, please? That guy is coming to kill me. So, uh, and I don't have anything. I don't have a gun. I'm in a wheelchair. Uh, I have these flash bulbs. They'll protect me. That'll do it. And then maybe that- in about twenty years, someone will turn this into a lightsaber. That's what they were made uh, of. That's that's true. Yes, that's true. Grab yes. grab flex um flashbulb. So anyway, so the lightsabers, yeah. So he lines up his his wheelchair. And he's got the flashbulb in his lap. And uh Lars comes in. And he's like, "Why did you have to ruin everything? Mind your own Why damn couldn't business? you just let me murder my wife in peace?" Jeez, was it the dog? Did I go too far with the dog? And he's like, and he starts moving towards him. What does he, what is, what does uh, Jimmy start do? What does Jeff do? He, he starts popping off flashbulbs. Right. Which turns uh, Lars into, I don't know, Frankenstein. He hates yeah, because it. Because Lars is so dumb that he keeps looking directly at it. Like, okay, you got me the first time. I wasn't expecting it. But the next like four times in a row. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Just a second, I gotta hold my dog. Why do I have to hold the Aww. dog? When the dog loves you. What's here? What's gonna no if she'll run out of the house and then we'll have to run after her and then I smell food. Is that food? Is... <laughs> Did someone give me food? What is this? Lily's freaking out. Was it groceries? I think, Lily, I think Lily thinks it's food. Lily knows it. Well, here's a couple of things. One, there was a stranger at the Somebody door. The Two, there's food. Oh, okay. There. It's chicken, oh right? It's a chicken. There's a there's a chicken in there though. Okay, she's gonna eat that chicken. A anyway, live chicken? Anyway. Anyway, he strangles him out the window somehow. Yes. And Thankfully, he's only like two stories up, and <clears throat> he. I the think cops he's, get there. His his friend. The cops see him. One of them says, "Throw me a gun," but no one shoots him because the cops get in there and they grab him. But then yeah. Jimmy Stewart falls out of the window, breaks his other yeah. leg. Right. Aww. Aww. Whatever. 
he's now thoroughly impressed with his girlfriend because she did all of these dangerous things, right? So their yes, whole absolutely. their whole relationship is fixed. You um, have value to me as a person now. Meanwhile, yeah. Lars, after he's been captured, is apparently squealing like a stuck pig. Oh boy, he's, he's like telling him everything. everything. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I know where Jimmy Hoff is buried too. Mm-hmm. We cut to the next day, and we're panning around, and and it looks like uh, Miss Lonely Hearts is up with the sing with the songwriter. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because the, his music saved her life, saved her from taking all them pills. And, yeah. and the couple on the fire escape have a new dog, a new puppy, and they're painting the yeah. the, the the place where the the murder the murder apartment. Yeah, right. and um, um, uh, Miss Torso's husband comes home. Apparently, he was away. He was in the army. In the army, and she's been cheating on him like gangbusters. Good for her. Right? Good for I, her. I hope she. I, I hope she caught. I hope she caught every cock she wanted while he was away. <laughs> um, and and the the only the only the only characters from the windows that don't have like a happy ending are the newlyweds who are now bickering with each other. Yeah, because the honeymoon's he, over. He has no job. <laughs> what she says was, "You, you yes, lost your job." I never would have married you if I knew you were going to quit your job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we cut back into the apartment. Jimmy Stewart is asleep, and now he's broken. Both his legs. Both. He has two broken legs. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so now I gotta ask, how in the fuck is he shedding? Who's helping him? He's not. That's he... gonna be that <laughs> cast when that when oh, that cast no. comes off. You're not gonna want to be in the room. <laughs> oh no, I'm gonna die here, covered in my own feces. I'm just filling up this body cast. I'm, 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 I'm some kind of bi- biological hazard. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to the lounge or whatever you want to call it. And uh, Lisa's reading some book about the Himalayas, right? Yep, and she's asleep. She checks to make sure. No, she's not asleep. Is she she's not reading. Asleep? No, she's, she's reading a book about the Himalayas. She checks to make sure that Jeff is asleep, and then she switches it out for get it for Bazaar. Oh, that's right. Yes, that's right. She's reading a book, and then she switches it for a fashion magazine. You're right. That's Jeff. right. Ha ha ha! Fun. Um, no. And then we wait until his mood swings again and he kicks her out. But I'm sure that everything's fine. Get out. Leave the lobster and get out. You fucking ingrate. Anyway, the end. Dadam, Steve, <laughs> what did you feel? How do you feel about Rear Window? I love it. I love it. Why? Um, here's the thing. Okay, I, I have all kinds of reasons why. Um, it's one of Hitchcock's most visually impressive films to me. I love the audacity of that gigantic set and i love and i love the the uh the unity that the film has because of it because like you can do those um those long panning shots and have everything without special effects without you know fancy editing or anything and it's all like it's all right there like all of Mm -hmm. that stuff is really there and they create this little universe in which this movie takes place and it's all real like it's Mm -hmm. all right there um and i love that and it it gives a wonderful sense of cohesion to the movie um what really impressed me watching it this time was how much of what makes the movie work comes from the single creative decision to shoot the entire thing from the vantage point of jeff's apartment Mm -hmm. The, the camera never 
ever leaves Jeff's apartment. Everything nope. we see is is either in Jeff's apartment with characters in there doing stuff or out that window. Um, that's it. Like the camera never leaves that location. And so because of that, we're always locked into Jeff's perspective. Mm -hmm. and, and that does so many things at the same time. First, it creates suspense because Jeff is acting on very limited information just what he's able to glean from seeing things through the windows and overhearing mm. things from across the courtyard. Mm -hmm. um, and we, and we see and hear the same things he does. And because of that, it also implicates the audience by involving us in Jeff's activities. He is a voyeur and so are we, and we yeah. are seeing things. And, and when we see things, we're not just seeing things through his physical perspective. We're seeing things through his psychological perspective because mm -hmm. he is filtering things through his own assumptions and his own biases. He is jumping to conclusions. He is reading certain events and taking an interpretation and saying, oh, he did that. That must mean this, this and this. And and we're you know sort of forced to go along with it because we're seeing everything through his eyes. I think it creates a critique of the sort of the nature of film itself. Mm -hmm. um, what Jeff is doing by watching his neighbors through their windows and seeing brief isolated segments of their lives, which he then interprets using his very limited information. And he fashions it into a narrative that makes sense to him. Like he doesn't know the names of these people. He gives them names. It's Miss Torso. It's Miss Lonely Hearts. It's the newlyweds. You know, it's the salesman and his invalid wife. Like he gives, he names them like characters in a movie and he creates these, these stories in his head based on the little pieces of their lives that he's able to witness through the window. And that's, that's what filmmakers do with characters. Mm -hmm. And that's what audiences do when we watch movies. We're seeing brief, isolated moments from these characters' lives that have been chopped up and constructed into a meaningful narrative. Mm -hmm. And we and we watch it through a frame. We watch it on a movie screen, just as Jeff is watching things through a window. Um, I think you can also read the film as a critique of our fascination <laughs> with crime with murder mysteries and true crime mm -hmm. um jeff jeff and lisa and stella kind of want thorwald to have killed his wife oh no they push for it all the time yeah not because they wish that the wife was dead but they because don't give that's... a here's the funny thing yeah. about it the wife is inconsequential they don't give yeah, a shit she... that he's murdered a person a living being this isn't about justice she, yeah this this is and this is goes back to my feeling that you can read it as a critique of 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 film. The dead wife is a plot device mm -hmm. to us as the audience of the movie, but she's also a plot device to them, to Jeff mm -hmm. and Lisa and Stella, the people that are watching and sort of taking it upon themselves to solve this crime. Mm -hmm. If indeed there is a crime. Stella comes up with, oh, they she, he probably chopped her up in the bathtub. Yeah, chopped yeah, exactly. up a body well, would, in the bathtub. Yeah, well, you would have wanted to do it in a bathtub. That's the only place you could do that without making a mess everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, they want it to be true, even though they never. No one ever comes out and says, "Oh man, I hope he did kill his wife." That would be great. That would be that would mm -hmm. be fascinating. But just the way they, the way they act, the way they talk, the way they engage with this very limited information that they have, they all want this to be true. They want this guy to have killed his wife, and. 
um, because that's the most interesting thing. And also because that would mean that they were right. They figured it out. Mm-hmm. You know, Jeff saw these, he saw this guy acting funny and thought, oh, I wonder if he's done something to his wife. And he did. I was right. I figured it out. Um, and it's reminiscent of, it's reminiscent of modern day, like true crime podcasters and these sort of self-appointed internet detectives, you know, who are like, who get just, just incredibly involved with murder cases and be like, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to, I'm going to deduce everybody's motives and I'm going to, I'm going to crack this case that the cops weren't able to do. You know, um, it's very, very reminiscent of that. Um, I love the way. Um, Jeff's injury is used Jeff for, for most of the film, uh, because of his broken leg, Hmm. Jeff is, 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 is anchored to his apartment and he he can't leave. He can't move around very well. It locks him into this limited view of the world and the events of the story. And then, and and it functions as a storytelling device in that way. But then at the end, when Thorwald discovers him and comes to the apartment, the injury, it, it, it's no longer a limitation in terms of like perspective. It's a limitation Mm -hmm. in it's a source of peril. Now he's vulnerable because of it. Now he can't fight back. He can't run away. He's trapped and Mm -hmm. like a cornered animal because the guy who was outside, who he was watching has now come inside. Um, So I I love the, the different ways that the, that the, the injured leg is used. Mm -hmm. I love, I love that all of the people in the apartments that Jeff spies on have their own little stories. Uh, Not just Thorwald in the murder mystery. We mentioned it when we got to the end of the plot summary. The composer and Miss Lonely Heart ultimately connect. Um, the newlyweds end up bickering with each other. The couple whose dog is killed get a new dog. Miss Torso's husband comes home from the military. Like we get little payoffs to all of the stories there, and they're just they're 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 incredibly simple, and we don't get to know any of these people as actual characters. They're just people that Jeff has been watching through the windows, but still they have little stories and they get conclusions, they get payoffs, which I like. Um, I mean, it almost goes without saying, but the performances are great. I agree mm-hmm. with you that that Jeff is not a very likable person, Mm-mm. but the performance from Jimmy Stewart, I think, is terrific um, mm-hmm. and really balances Jeff's different qualities of cabin fever and boredom leading to voyeurism, leading to morbid curiosity, leading to, you know, becoming obsessed with proving that something bad has happened and he's going to figure out what it is and and convince everybody else that this guy killed his wife. Mm -hmm. Um, Grace Kelly transitions from the, the rightfully annoyed and hurt girlfriend who has been ignored and mistreated. And, you know, I think at one point you, you use the term emotional abuse and I do think Mm -hmm. it kind of crosses the line into that at times. Um, but but eventually she becomes like a partner in crime, so to speak, uh, with Jeff. She becomes part of the team. You know, she wants mm-hmm. to figure this out, too. And she takes it upon herself to go to the apartment and to sleuth out what's happened. You know, um, I think she and she she handles that turn really well. Uh, I mean, Thelma Ritter is fantastic. You said that she was the best thing in the movie. I think I might agree with you. I mean, in terms of the performances, at least uh, she's fantastic. She's sharp. She's funny. She's the character who seems the most willing to speak openly about these conclusions that they're jumping to and her morbid mm-hmm. curiosity and sort of, you know, what they're all thinking about what this guy has done with his wife. And, and then Raymond Burr, who is basically asked 
to be Schrodinger's murderer here. Mm-hmm. Um, because until the end, it's not actually nailed down that he actually did kill his wife. So for most of the movie, it's like he has to appear plausible as both an innocent man whose actions have been misconstrued and a guy who is capable of killing his wife. And he does that. Like he comes across as equally plausible as a guy that Jimmy Stewart's just got the wrong idea about Mm -hmm. and a guy who actually did this, who actually killed his wife. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of Hitchcock's most visually impressive films. I think it's a great example of his ingenuity and versatility as a director. Some of his best films like North by Northwest, uh, To Catch a Thief, The Man Who Knew Too Much, take his characters and us on these adventures around the world. There are these, these epic sort of globe-trotting films where mm-hmm. just the, the, can, the canvas of the story is endless. It just takes you all over the globe. But with Rear Window, he proves that he can construct a compelling mystery and, and a, a really compelling and riveting suspense movie just by looking out the same window at mm-hmm. the same courtyard um, where, in the words of the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, the view never changes, baby. The view never changes. That's all I have to say. Highly, highly recommended. I'm done. I like this movie a lot. Go ahead. I like the movie too, but it's a gimmick. The movie is a gimmick. I'll go with that. I agree with you. Oh, well, we built the set and it's really deep and we had just put everyone next around it. And oh, did you know there's running water in all the apartments? And yada, yada, I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Is the story good? Okay. Is the story good? Once again, we have Jimmy Stewart playing an unlikable protagonist in a Hitchcock film. And he is kind of unlikable. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not nice to his girlfriend. He did completely. I mean, here's the thing. If he did to any normal woman what he did that night when she came over and brought him food, right? That would yeah. be done. The relationship is now over, right? Yeah. But she keeps crawling back to him because she just loves him for some whatever reason. I don't know why. Who cares? Right? But I like the movie. It is possible to like the entire movie except for the except for the main protagonist. It is possible. Um, what I think is so funny is that in this movie, no one is righteously trying to prove to get justice for this. Let's face it. What we saw of the woman wasn't great. She seemed to be mocking him. She, she, you know, he's waiting on her hand and foot. God knows why he killed her, but there were probably reasons. I'm not saying they're justifiable reasons, but they really didn't seem happy. And boy, oh boy. Here's it didn't seem like a healthy relationship at all, from what you could tell through the full window. time. And here's the other thing: she's supposedly bedridden, but she gets up to mock him on the phone. <laughs> That's right. Right? It's quite possible he discovered she ain't bedridden. She's just fucking using him. And he went, "Well, so much for you," and strangled her. <laughs> and we figured out what they were going to do with the body or whatever else. Now, yeah. I have a couple of things. I think it's implied that he pieced her up and carried her out of the house yes, one trip at a time night. in his yeah. in his suitcase. And then, like I said, dumped his her body on the East River, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that she wasn't in the the big trunk, right? So he right. chopped her up, put her put her in the suitcase, and he would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those pesky kids. 
right? If it wasn't exactly. for someone yeah. who was who was being a voyeur, being a creepy voyeur, and watching him through through his window. Um, I mean, here's the thing. Lisa says several times, "Do you really think that someone would just do a murder right in front of your, right in front of an open window?" Well, we never saw that. We heard a scream, but that was about yeah. it. Okay. No one went running to the window after the scream either. Did you notice that? That's, that yes, initial right. scream, which is probably when he killed her. Although, if he yeah. did strangle her, I'm wondering how she screamed, but that doesn't matter. Um, is it? Interesting that he filmed the entire thing in one location from Jeff's apartment. Yes. Am I ever convinced that this isn't a set? No, I'm not. I know it's a oh. set. And I know that they use some forced perspective. Want to know how I know? Because the street that's behind all those buildings is far too close. And that street <laughs> isn't terribly wide because it only takes them no. like three steps to walk across yeah, it. You you can tell when Miss Lonely Heart walks across the street to the restaurant. It's like, boy, she's like two steps and she's there. That's not an actual mm-hmm. street. Yeah. But it's supposed to be a two-lane street with traffic going yeah. in both directions. Because we see the truck go we see the truck go one way and the other car goes the other. Do I think it's interesting? Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great. And I think it's great that they built this set. I think it's great that they filmed the only they filmed it in a month. I love the fact that they make you feel like a voyeur as you're watching these people from Jimmy Stewart's perspective. Not all the time, but you know, we're pe- we're peeping in. Getting a giddy thrill of watching the half naked lady dance around her apartment or Miss Lonely Hearts nearly killing herself all the time and having bizarre psychotic episodes. And now isn't it great that she's teamed up <laughs> with the songwriter and now she can torture him? I guess. I don't know. I don't think it's implied that they have a romantic relationship. No, I think it's just that she feels connected to him because of his music, because his music convinced mm-hmm. her not to kill herself. Yeah. And he said, listen to this. And he's, he put on the first Chipmunks album and she <laughs> she runs and throws herself out the window. <laughs> Where are my pills? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think it's overall, it's overall, I did enjoy it. Um, I just really hated Jimmy Stewart's character. I really did. I was like, fuck him. Fuck him. You know what? Fuck him. Let's let's face facts. Guys, if you didn't watch the movie, just look up Grace Kelly, 1954. Right? She's what, 25, maybe? I think she's 25 when they made the movie, yeah. He's like 108. I don't know. His hair is completely he 40, gray. He was, he was 46. I looked at it was, before we started. He, he was, was 46, 46 years old. Yeah. Oh, do oh no, I've got I've, I've got to be in a movie where the I'm in love with another beautiful woman who's half my age. Oh. <laughs> and then what's funny is, is that in this one, he's shunning her, kind of. Mm-hmm. I got the beginning. They gave they gave the two leads something. It's just that I hate what they gave the two leads, right? They gave the two leads something. Oh, she's not adventuring us, and he doesn't think that she could do what he does because what he does is and she's you know a pretty princess from you know from the fashion district right. and it'll never right. work and then she proves that she can do all of this stuff and he's right. like he, he pops a boner and he's like oh i hope i can get this cast off soon because now he's figured out oh she can do these things so she proves herself to him which i fucking hate i really fucking yeah. hate it um but anyway um, but I liked it. I thought it was good. Cops are pretty dumb. 
I wouldn't have I wouldn't have done a single thing that this guy asked me to do. I would not have done a single thing. Yeah, I think the guy across the way killed his wife. Did you see it? No. Get off the phone. <laughs> Stop wasting our time. Well, that's the thing is like because it's a movie, like of course the suspicions that the that Jimmy Stewart's character have turn out to be true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they could just as easily have not been like he there. Uh, I mean, e- even her going into the apartment and finding the wedding ring, like that's not proof that he killed somebody. Mm-hmm. You know? Here's the ending There's that really, I would have. Yeah. Here's the ending. I would have written. You ready? Yeah. They get him. They confront, you know, the cops confront him. He picks up a phone, calls his wife. His wife shows up. She's alive. She has gone out of state. They're getting a divorce. They really don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, the cops call call him across the way, and they say, "Listen, the wife's alive. She's with her mother in New Jersey. Can you please yeah. leave this poor man alone?" <laughs> and Jimmy, yeah. and Jimmy Stewart goes, "Oh, jeez!" And then his front door bangs open, and it's the woman whose dog has been murdered, and she's convinced <laughs> that Jimmy Stewart murdered the dog. <laughs> This she is comes for after sprinkles, you motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And then they have their their fight. He falls out the window. It's basically the same ending, <laughs> but it's just the woman with the dog. Instead it's just of the woman with the dog. Yeah. Right. And then the cops say, "Oh yeah, she's really crazy." It turns out she's the one that murdered her dog. And we're like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> the end. Bye, folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get out of there. Or, oh no. Oh no, her husband's real dead. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. And she just happened to see you looking out your window with binoculars across the way. She thought you were spying on her. And then the whole thing kind of snowballed. But uh, yeah, Lars is fine. He's fine. He's he's angry. He's a good guy. He's a nice guy. He's angry. He's angry at you. He's He's really mad at you. He's been through a real (laughs) rough patch with his wife. Anyway, why don't you fuck your girlfriend? What's wrong with you? What? What I've got a cast. I can't. (laughs) <laughs> that's like that's the last line seriously dude fuck your girlfriend <laughs> oh, i liked it so steve recommend yeah very much very yeah much i recommend i recommend yeah. too i did enjoy it yeah yeah other than that so steve do you have yes, a movie sir. that you would like to not recommend i sure do boy this movie very influential as many hitchcock movies were and there were there have been many films since this movie that feature characters you know either engaging in surveillance or you know spying on people and you know thinking that they've stumbled onto some kind of illicit knowledge or whatever and some of them have been good most of them have been fucking terrible Mm -hmm. um the one i'm going to not recommend is one from just a few years ago actually from 2020 it's a movie called the night clerk and uh, not only is it a lousy movie, it's also a lousy movie with um, what, what we'll add this to the uh, incredibly long list of movies that have really, really shitty depictions of people with autism. Wait, what? Um, yeah, because, OK, the main character in the movie, the, the premise of the movie is this. So there's this guy who works as a, a night clerk at a hotel. Mm-hmm. And he has and he has Asperger's. Okay. And he doesn't have real life Asperger's. He has movie Asperger's. Oh, right? sure, of course. Um, 
And so he's like incredibly socially awkward. He's really bad at like interacting with people. Makes you wonder why he works as a clerk at a hotel. But anyway, um, and so what he does is he mm. he has um, there's the, the hotel has like a security system. And I think this dude has also like installed his own cameras in the hotel rooms. Why? So he like, well, his, the, 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 the given reason is that he, he records the lives of the, of the, the guests at the hotel. And then he watches it later to get more comfortable with like human interaction, like to see how people behave so he can have more mm -hmm. of a model for how he's supposed to be. Right. Um, really kind of like a shitty thing to suggest that a person with Asperger's would be completely fine. Like, you know, illicitly recording people in private hotel rooms and then taking it home and watching it and being like, <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm doing this so I can be a better person. Like that's not remotely what, you know, um, like I, I've known people who are on the autism spectrum. None of them have ever done this or think this would be an okay thing to do. <laughs> um, but anyway, so of course he witnesses a crime while he's watching these videos mm -hmm. right he sees like something terrible has apparently happened and he doesn't know what to do you know and people show up people find out that you know that he's been secretly recording people and they show up and they say where's the hard drive we need the video and he's like what do i do what do i do so it's 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 a really shitty movie with a really shitty premise and a really shitty depiction of of a, a person with asperger's um, and I did actually do my thing with that I do occasionally where I, I pull some quotes from review from from reviews of the film to give you an idea of what the critical consensus was. Um, for instance, uh, Brian Tallarico, who is a critic for RogerEbert.com, said the movie is inert to such a degree that one wonders if the film has been slowed down. Uh Katie Reif of the AV Club says the night clerk will be remembered, if at all, as a movie Ana de Armas was way too good for because she's in it. This was like right before she did uh, Knives Out and became like a huge star. Mm -hmm. um, so this is like a, an embarrassing little thing on her resume. And finally, this is actually from a, uh, a user review from IMDb.com. This is mm -hmm. by Jeff Blythe Film 22, who writes, and I quote, Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What were any of these people thinking? How did yeah. anyone show up? How did anyone show up on the second day of filming? So that is my not recommend. The Night Clerk. It can't Don't possibly it. be that bad. Come on. Really? There are 252 reviews on IMDb. Wasn't there? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure. I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm sure some people liked it. Sure. Let's find one. Let's not, find some people I'm, who liked it. I'm not, but okay, I'm still <laughs> scrolling, and I have yet to find anybody who likes it beyond one star. Holy shit. How bad is this? This is really bad, Steve. Mm-hmm. See, I was gonna not recommend I was gonna not recommend Sliver. Remember that movie with Sharon Stone? No. <laughs> I believe that was also written by Joe Esterhaus. I think that was like her follow-up to Basic Instinct. And they're like, oh, Sharon Stone doing another movie written by Joe Esterhaus. This one's called Sliver. And Billy Baldwin is in it. And he's like, a, Billy Baldwin is the voyeur and he's the bad guy. He like secretly watches people in the apartment building on video. And, uh, you know, it, it's just total garbage. And I was going to not recommend it. But then I saw this one and I was like, oh, no, I'll do this one. So Helen Hunt's in it. 
Helen Hunt is uh, the night clerk's mom. Yeah. Oh, okay. The cast is terrific. Like the cast on paper, the cast is great, but it's just, you know. Yeah. Here we go. There's one here that just says heartbroken. 10 out of 10. Wow. 10 out of 10. As good as it can be. <laughs> that's that's it. That's all they wrote. There's nothing else there. Wow. Murder and deceit. The leading male Bart has Asperger's. But the movie isn't about this disease. Bart finds himself swept into a murder scene because he wants to learn to be more socially efficient. Then Andrea shows up. The plot takes an unexpected path. Basically, they're just recapping the entire thing. This is a must-see yeah. film for those who like to think about what they're watching and the mystery of how the story will unfold. It sounds oh, dreadfully real boring. It's real deep. It's a real thinker. <laughs> I don't give a lot of tens unless a film really shows me something unexpected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Worth sure. it. It's a mix of genres and has nothing as the norm. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. That sounds great. What an impressive way of explaining Asperger's to the world. Doesn't sound like I couldn't stop watching. Masterpiece actor with Ben Asperger's. Jesus Christ. I guess. I don't know. Now I have to watch it because all these 10 out of 10s. 10 stars. (laughs) I have to watch it. I have no choice. I have to watch it. Or people who've never seen the movie. Well, that's great. Hey, Steve, as you as you know, I like to uh, not recommend a movie from the same year as the movie that we just reviewed, and it's 1954. Yeah. And the movie that I'm not going to review, Stars and Bancroft. Oh, really? Lee J. Cobb. Oh, my God. Oh, now you've got my attention. And Raymond Burr. Raymond Burr. Hey, hey. With a lead, Cameron Mitchell. Wow. The movie that I'm not going to recommend that stars all of this talent, and with the exception of Cameron Mitchell, is a little yeah, three at his moments. A color 3D movie. Oh boy. Called Gorilla at Large. <laughs> oh, I gotta see this. I've never seen this. No, you don't. No one oh. no one's gotta see it. I mean, I, I get that it's a not. I get that it's a not recommend. I know I'm expecting it to be a horrible movie, but Lee J. Cobb, Lee in J. A Cobb's movie in called it. Gorilla at Large, Lee J. Cobb <laughs> and Bancroft. It turns out to be the killer who's been framing Raymond Burr the gorilla. Framing a gorilla. Does Raymond Burr play the gorilla? No, he's just playing a dude. <laughs> it is a you know a guy in a gorilla costume. At one hoping. point, when you see him, you can see. That instead of gorilla feet, he's just wearing some fucking shoes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's a 3D movie, so that when he reaches out to people and stuff like that, you know, people are supposed to go, Bleh. exactly. It's dumb. It's really fucking dumb. And I I can't remember when I saw it, but I do re- I don't remember that Anne Bancroft, Lee J. Cobb, and Raymond Burr were wow. fucking in it. That is an amazing cast for what sounds like a complete piece of trash of a this movie. This came out at the same year. Can you imagine? Yeah, I'm just wrapping up at Gorilla at Large in 3D, and now I'm going to go work on the Hitchcock picture. 
Good news, Mr. Hitchcock. I will be able to play the villain in Rear Window after all. I'm going to be finished shooting Gorilla at Large just and in time. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and Bancroft was both Anne Bancroft and Lee J. Cobb were just fucking whatever gets money in my pocket. Because yeah. someone said, Hey, how about this movie? Gorilla at Large in 3D. What's it about? Oh well, you know, it's about a woman who wants to kill, who kills people, and she's framing a gorilla, and then the gorilla gets loose at the very end to justify the name of the movie. Because we know that if we call it Gorilla <laughs> at Large, people are people are going to just cram Look, into this. The gorilla needs to be at large at least for a few seconds before we end this yeah. thing. <laughs> into this shitty whodunit. <clears throat> so that's it. Well, yeah, gorilla, gorilla at Large. Another movie with a gimmick, but it's like if you if you make a movie called, you know, Godzilla fucks a giant shark <laughs> and then Godzilla doesn't fuck a giant shark at some point, You're people gonna are going to be mad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, what's really great is that there's a mix up. At one point, the gorilla grabs um, Anne Bancroft and she thinks it's a guy in a costume. Oh. That's how terrible the gorilla costume is, <laughs> which it actually is. She doesn't realize until. <laughs> Until until a few minutes, she's like, oh, no, this is a real gorilla. And he climbs up onto a fucking, you know, uh, I think it's a uh, roller coaster or something like that. And, you know, sure. I think I think you can find it in the Internet archive if you really want to watch it. But please don't. I'm looking for it. I'm looking Gor for it. Gorilla at large in 3D. Hey, Steve. Yeah, buddy. It's time for you to make a terrible choice. At this time, I make Steve uh, choose the next movie that we're going to review. Again, right. we're choosing three movies. Coincidentally, all of them came one in a row. One, two, three, because these were the only good movies that this guy had. Okay? As far as I'm concerned. Other people may disagree with me. Okay. They may think, oh, no, you know what? The, the Three Amigos was a great film. And you're like, was it? And he's not really working much anymore, right? And his, his son is a fucking creeper weirdo who I hope never works again. The director, yeah, I think you mean now. I know who you mean now. Okay, the, the director is John Landis, who had a little yep. whoopsie while making one of the one of the shorts for the Twilight Zone movie and got <laughs> a some little people whoopsie killed. where a guy got killed, a couple people got Not, killed. No, no, like two children and a, a, and a an guy, adult. Uh, an adult, and two children were killed. Mm -hmm. Yes, whoopsie, um, oops, and he hasn't really made anything in a long time, and at least nothing good, right? John Landis used to be the shit. Oh my God! He had a yeah in the early '80s. He was like the king of Hollywood for a while. Oh there. yeah, he yeah. did did the Thriller video that put yeah. him on the map. Um, but these are three movies that he's made, and you have to pick the one that we're going to review. Oh, it's boy. A, okay. B, or C. One I hate. The other two are pretty good. Oh boy! I can't wait to accidentally pick the one you hate. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say B. <laughs> Oh, I picked a good one. Oh my God! Thank God, I picked a good one. You not only did you pick a good one, you picked one of my favorite movies of all time. Okay. Oh, great! Oh, I think I know which one this is. But go ahead. Yeah, you probably do. Had you picked A, we would have reviewed the Wretched Animal House. Okay, I know a lot of people love that movie. I know a lot of people think that movie's great. I dare you to rewatch it. 
I dare you to watch it now. <laughs> Had you chosen C, we would have reviewed one of my uh, again. This is one of my favorite movies. Not not my top ten. An American mm-hmm. Werewolf in London. Great movie. Great movie. Yeah. But you chose B, a movie that so influenced me when I was in high school that I would dress up as one of the characters in a partnership and perform songs from the <laughs> fucking movie. <clears throat> I will find one of those pictures and I will send it to Steve. The movie that we're talking about is, of course, probably, hopefully, the only movie where you like Dan Aykroyd because he don't say much. He doesn't talk a whole lot. <laughs> which movie. is a plus. Which is a plus. <laughs> and and his face is covered with the sunglasses, so he can't mug like a goddamn shitty silent movie actor for the entire time. Anyway. The movie we're going to review next is The Blues Brothers. Yeah. So if you want to get all the jokes, then please watch The Blues Brothers before we record another one of these goddamn things. God damn it. Anyway, we're done. Please go see the Blues Brothers. Hey, everybody. I know I'm being cranky, and I know that I'm being hopeless, and I would feel bad, but I know all of it's validated. It's going to happen. doesn't fucking matter. We're all doomed. Everyone grab onto each other for, for support and hope. Have sex with someone that you love, and make sure you do it yeah. a lot, because pretty soon we're going to be clubbing each other for the for, for a can of tuna. So, you know, that's just... Everything's... Everything's doomed. End stage capitalism, more like end stage human civilization, right, Steve? <laughs> yep, that's what I say, buddy. But me and Steve are gonna laugh all our way all the way to it. And we're gonna that's bring right. you with us. Me and Steve, we're gonna be like, remember movies? And I'm like, no. I'm gonna be like, <laughs> I'm gonna be like Frodo at the end of goddamn uh Return of the King. I don't remember, I don't remember film. <laughs> I don't remember the taste of Burger King. I, I'm alone in the dark. I ate a rat yesterday. At least I think it was a rat. It might have been like a chihuahua, like a like a free range chihuahua. That's at what this point. Be. What's the difference? Who the cares, chihuahuas right? are so under. They're basically rats at this point. Anyway. Rat, chihuahua, baby. It's all meat in the mouth, isn't it? Don't, don't judge me. Things are bad, okay? <laughs> you can't judge me for my choices. <laughs> so what? It was only 236 degrees out this summer. And, and we have no ozone. The air we're breathing, we're, we're just sucking out of plastic bags. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, good luck. You know, what happened is the people, the, you know, the, the entire world has been laid to waste and they find that one 100 years picture that Malkovich made. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody just, they watch it once and then they destroy it in rage. Mm-hmm. They're just like, these motherfuckers 100 years ago. Instead of fixing climate change, they were making this thing. I watched the trailer for it while we were talking and it's fucking ridiculous. John Malkovich putting, you know, a film can that's only about this big into a a vault with some cognac and then locking it up for a hundred oh, years. God. And I'm like, number one, um, that cognac's gonna outgas, which in turn is going to destroy the film. And by the way, there's not enough film in that canister for it to be a fucking movie. 
No, it's like a it's ten like, minute movie. If it's one reel, if, if it's one reel, it's something you could watch on on sixteen. What was the? Okay, so I don't know if you're old enough for this, but we used to watch movies on projectors. Oh yeah, it's before, cool. before VHS. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, we used to do that. What what gauge is that? Is that that's not sixteen? That's like uh, no, I I think the well, I mean, the movies were they they I don't think they were originally shown in theaters on sixteen, but I think the ones we watched in school were were, were sixteen millimeter prints. Were they okay? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, were, yeah. They, just, I'm pretty yeah, sure they, they weren't thirty five. They definitely sure they were, 35. were not thirty five. The projectors no. would be far too big. Yeah, you know, no, but I think they, it, was a, it was yeah because it was like a portable projector that they would set up in the, like the cafeteria right. or something for us. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was 16. Anyway, um, that's a thanks everybody for listening. <laughs> Enjoy the apocalypse if you can. Please go to the fun GoFundMe and yes. fund me because Jesus Christ. Hey guys, it's great to be an American until you get sick. And then Ooh. it's not fucking fun at all unless you're a goddamn millionaire. And that's yeah. you want to know why we can't fix our healthcare system. It's because the people who are in charge of it get it for free if they're in the government for the rest yeah. of their goddamn lives, or they're rich and they don't have to worry about it. It doesn't that's make a difference, right? It doesn't make a difference. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. Thanks, everybody, for late seating. This is Jason Harding. You can go see a movie this week. And this is Steve Shives, and just remember the last words my father said to my mother before she left him. Would you make me a sandwich? Jesus Christ. (laughs) Out of all the things that you could have quoted out of this goddamn movie, will you make me a sandwich? (laughs) Get get your ass in the kitchen and make me a goddamn sandwich right now. Do something other than looking. Wait, who does he say it to? Does he say it to? Does he say it? I can't remember if he says it to Lisa or if he says it to Stella. I, I think, think he, he says, says it to Lisa. To... I think he uh, says it to Lisa. Yeah. That yeah, sounds like something, a... some shitty thing. He, no, please. No, thank you. Just make me a goddamn cause, sandwich. Because he's nice to Stella. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, he, could... he, he, Stella's, Stella's the character that he first complains to Lisa about. Stella's the one that he's actually, Lisa to. he's actually in love with. They're, and, you know, they're a closer match in age. Of course they are. They're probably I think the, they make a nice. I, I probably I think the Stella same might age. be a little older, but not that much. I mean, <laughs> I don't think she's a, older at all. I think she's forty six years old. I think. Well, she's, then, that, then that's perfect. Well, it's perfect. Yeah. And they should. They, and I mean, they, they seem compatible. Mm-hmm. You know? but remember, this is Hollywood, right? If you're no, going to no. have a romance, the girl has to be. Remember, uh, what you want to call it just came out with Humphrey Bogart and <clears throat> and that scarecrow woman, whatever her name is. <laughs> Humphrey Bogart and that scarecrow woman? Audrey Hepburn. Audrey or Catherine Hepburn. No, oh, no Audrey, Audrey Hepburn. Yes, Audrey, yeah, 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 Sabrina. They were yes, in Sabrina, they were in Sabrina yes. together. Right. And he was like 109 and she was like 13. Yeah. And that was like, no, no. And we were did. like, oh, how romantic. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Look at that. This shriveled up gray scrotum banging up against her butt as they have sex. That's what I want to picture. That's the that's wanna, the lost ending. That's the lost I wanna, ending. I want to see him in, inject himself full of <laughs> of drugs just so he could stay awake long enough to orgasm weekly on her stomach with a half hard penis. That's what I want to picture in my head of this old man groping yep. and pawing this fucking. 
13-year-old girl. I'm sorry. This 13-year-old stick figure. I just, oh boy, Steve, I'm in a bad mood. (laughs) (laughs) Hooray for Hollywood. (laughs) Can you imagine? I mean, first, I mean, let's say you're, you're young actress you're in hollywood you're being given a lead and the and <laughs> let's say even your your audrey audrey hepburn right yeah and you're like you've got a lead oh goody it's a romance oh great who who am i starring against humphrey bogart oh that's fantastic isn't he like in his 70s <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> yeah don't worry we're gonna dye his hair wasn't wasn't casablanca like 10 years ago no more than it was yeah it was a little bit more than that but yeah 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 and they don't worry about it don't worry about it it's like okay and then we're gonna do another movie after that called roman holiday and you're gonna be starring against gregory peck gregory like, peck isn't he 40 something uh-huh yeah it's gonna be great that's right. Get used to it, dummy, because that's all we got. We don't have anybody. <laughs> that's right. Get used to it, dummy. <laughs> we don't have any man, apparently, that's worth anything at all. Apparently, we just, these guys. Well, you just, know, you know, Audrey, Audrey, hang in there, and eventually it'll be the early 60s, and you'll make one of these with George Peppard. And, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And she's and like, just, who? Just, <laughs> never mind. Just forget you'll it. know who he is. Forget it. And then you'll just stop making movies all of a sudden. For whatever reason, you'll just stop. I guess you made enough. Yep. And then you'll, you know, <laughs> she'll just be like, I'm good. Then you'll go to Africa and exploit starving children for the rest of their natural or your natural life, I guess. That's you'll make true. one more yeah. movie right before you die, and then you'll die. What? <laughs> yeah, that's how it's gonna go. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> welcome. Welcome to Hollywood. Don't listen to Marilyn. She's going to tell you a bunch of stuff you probably won't like. Don't listen to Marilyn. And also, don't get attached. And also, take it off. I'm an executive producer in Hollywood in the 1950s. I don't even find you particularly attractive. I like a woman with more meat on her bones. You know, but it's just the point, you know. It's just, whatever. It, it has to happen. This you has look to like, happen. It's the way you, you look like you're underage, and I want you to dance around in my office while I while I masturbate with my. I find you attractive more in theory than in fact, but that's enough for me. Half flaccid penis as I cry over a woman that died years ago. What? Just take your clothes off and dance. I keep forgetting Alfred Hitchcock produced this movie, and then I want you to, I want you to feed me the shrimp puffs one at a time. All right. What? <laughs> I was so excited to be yeah. in that. Wait, she's never done an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Right? Audrey Hepburn? I don't think. Yeah. So. I don't think she did. No. Oh, but you know God. the other thing. Oh wait, didn't, she wasn't blonde. Of course she didn't. Ah, uh, we didn't mention during the review. Um, this was during a period in Hitchcock's life when he was relatively healthy. He had lost a lot of weight. Um, you know, he, this was before his later stage when he when he gained a lot of weight back again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when he when he was like chasing the starlets around, there was good odds he could actually catch them. Oh, good, great, good for him! Mm-hmm. Hooray! I'm just saying, probably not the probably not the best time for actresses to be working with him. Uh, no. What can we be done? I'm tired of. Okay. Hollywood okay. needs a fucking. I hope a volcano opens up underneath it, just goes into a sinkhole. 
It's like, wow, look at that. Well, who's going to make our entertainment now? I don't know. Anybody? The, the Hollywood sign turns out to be a volcano and it just swallows <laughs> the entire the entire town just collapses into it. <sighs> All right, that's it. Thanks, everybody. It's, it's time for Grandpa to go to bed and just angrily mutter under his breath while he's asleep. Oh, he's, motherfucker. He's an angry everything. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Let Me Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Listen. And thanks for listening. <laughs>